Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Sarcoma Insight. For this uh, episode, we have a very special episode for uh, our listeners and you all, uh, which is the Ask an Orthopedic Oncologist or Musculoskeletal Oncologist episode. And this episode is brought to you uh, from the Toronto Fellows Musculoskeletal Oncology Conference. This was a conference that took place in May of 2022. Just as a background, the Toronto Musculoskeletal Oncology Fellowship is a, it's a world-renowned fellowship that has trained uh, musculoskeletal oncologists or sarcoma or tumor surgeons all across the world. Uh, we've actually had a couple graduates of the program on our show. We had Dr. Peter Ferguson, who uh, is the uh, head of the program. Uh, we also had Dr. Weiss, uh, who also is a graduate of the program, and yours truly, myself. And so for this episode, uh, we pulled a few of our questions that came in through our Instagram directly from our listeners and followers and really posed this to a room full of musculoskeletal oncologists. And we opened up a discussion. So for every uh, question, there is a primary person answering the question. And then we opened it up to the gallery for comments. Um, we hope to bring you more of this uh, similar format. I think trying to hear from multiple surgeons, multiple doctors is very important. And really, uh, we hope that we can get more questions the next time we uh, reach out and ask for them on our Instagram. Sarcoma Insight. All right, so we have some questions uh, from our Instagram followers and listeners. The first questions that I would like to pose to you guys is, says, why are the treatment drugs 40 years old for sarcoma? Hi, I'm Jay Wonder. I'm an orthopedic oncologist from the University of Toronto, Mansonite Hospital. Um, Okay, so why are the treatment drugs so old? Um, it's a big failure of what uh, of what many of us do, but luckily, um, luckily the uh, the purview of drugs is under the medical oncologist, not under the surgical oncologist. But it'd be very easy to just uh, put this all off on medical oncologists because we really think of um, advancement of drug research under uh, under medical oncology, right? Um, but there have been, I mean, there's certainly a lot of advances in drugs since we started. Um, you know, what's, what's the best example? Um, Gleevec, right? For, you know, using that for, for just tumors. Um, they use it for leukemias. Um, you know, that's revolutionized the treatment of just um, tumors. Now, we don't treat those, right? Because most of those are under the auspices of general surgery. But that's revolutionized um, treatment for those particular uh, patients. So, um, you know, that's been a big advance. You know, Ewing sarcoma, there's been some advances, um, although it's the same drugs are used much better and the cure rate's much better. You know, osteosarcoma is probably the best example of the least advanced, right? All the drugs are the same, adromycin, cisplatin, methotrexate. Every drug that's been tried since then has not worked. Um, you know, lots of studies have been done looking at, you know, targeted drugs, tyrosine kinase type drugs, molecular targeted drugs. Not one of them's ever been exceptionally effective. Um, you know, and, um, maybe immunotherapies, uh, here we'll plug, we'll plug our own research, right. And immunotherapy, right. So, you know, the biggest advances in cancer in the last decade have been immunotherapy, melanoma, renal cancer, lung cancer, you know, certain subsets of other cancers, immunotherapies probably led to the most cures like melanoma, everybody died. And now, you know, a huge proportion of people actually live or have long-term survival. 
Um, and uh, there was a trial, early trial of immunotherapy. It was like 1980s in Sweden. So they did a trial randomized. You know, kids got chemotherapy or they got immunotherapy with interferon. I don't know if you know this. You guys know this. It's a really like obscure study. And um, it was very early in the days of limb salvage. And um, the uh, kids who got interferon did as well as the kids who got chemotherapy, but it never really was better. So it didn't catch on. There were a lot of complications. And, um, you know, since then, the, the, the only other big study since then that was randomized was when I was started when I was a fellow in New York and continued on when I came back. And it was like adriamycin, cisplatin, methotrexate, plus or minus hyphosamide. That was like the biggest study ever, right? That was Paul Meyer's study. And it basically showed that it didn't improve your outcome. So although it's used as a secondary drug, it's not used up front anymore. And then that was it. That was like the last big study randomized worldwide that actually led to any improvement. So um, there, there's a lot of research in immunotherapy and sarcomas. We have a big research program in immunotherapy and sarcomas. Our research would certainly suggest that patients with osteosarcoma or the subset of patients with osteosarcoma that have high amounts of tumor infiltrating lymphocytes and other markers probably would do better with immunotherapy. But so far, there hasn't been, you know, that hasn't been taken up um, in a big study. Um, and, and the problem is a lot of, a lot, all, the, all the big advances in, um, in molecular targeted drugs for sarcoma come from other areas. Like nobody's studying, no pharmaceutical study, no pharmaceutical is studying sarcoma or one of the 80 kinds of sarcoma and trying to find a drug for that tumor. It's all drugs from other cancers that are way more common than then people apply to rare cancer. You know, that's why I think NIH has this um, rare cancer disease sort of subset where they can get money for, um, for, for research, for um, looking at advances for rare diseases, because there's so little infrastructure from pharmacy, pharmaceuticals and other, um, you know, sort of big typical control trial uh, things, but it's a, it's a big problem, right? Because there've been so many studies and so many, um, of these big subsets of you, like Ewing's and osteosarcoma, probably the two diseases where there's been the most trials and there continue to be in North America and Europe, and there hasn't been any significant advance. Um, but if you look at breast cancer, you know, for instance, I mean, breast gets amazing in breast cancer. Like if you have a 2% improvement in survival and a drug gets taken up and it doesn't matter how many trillions of dollars it can cost, but then you have a rare disease like this and it's like impossible almost to, uh, to look at. So, um, Part of it's a funding thing. Part of it's a funding put into drugs that are going to economically pay back to pharmaceuticals. And we just try and look at all those drugs after the fact and try and apply them to, to what we do. You know, the other problem is that, um, you know, from somebody who spends so much time doing research and, you know, all, all the molecular, like all the things like microarray and doing gene sequencing. I mean, in sarcoma is not, none of that has led to the cure. I mean, we just, like we just spent a few years doing sequencing for UPS and mixofiber sarcoma. And, you know, not one thing came out of that was this is the cure. This is the, this is the mutation. This is the pathway. It's just so haphazard. There's like millions of millions of uh, anomalies in these tumors. And so you can't target any one thing. And so it's hard to go to a drug company and say, oh, this is the gene. If you just target something for us and make a drug, we're going to cure somebody. So this is, this is part of the problem. And, um, and the other thing is that even if you find something, let's say you find a mutation in a sarcoma and you find a drug from another tumor for the same mutation, it may not actually even work in sarcoma, right? Because the milieu and the background, the molecular pathways is, is often different. And so occasionally it'll work, but not regularly. So the problem is the sarcoma, the volumes are too small yeah. to actually get drug companies interested. Right? I know. 
but but it, is, but it is kind of dismal that you know um like will like you're doing this in dogs right like you look at dog genomes we're looking at human genomes and you look at all these genomes and you sequence the tumor and you look at what's up in rna and you, there's got to be something that like there's something in there all that data that's going to give you the answer and there's no answer um okay so there there was this article in um in the london times this is like many years ago and it was called um it was about surgery it was about cancer and it was called the magic bullet and um so you would assume that this was all about molecular targeted drugs and novel drugs and all these you know disease specific drugs that are going to cure people and it was actually about surgical oncology and the author who was not any in medicine but just you know a guy from the newspaper said um basically at the end of the day if you can cut out a solid tumor you can cure the patient and all of the rest will help a little bit but like if you don't cut out the tumor base, the patient's going to die. So despite the fact that I or any of us who are directly responsible for finding new drugs, haven't found new drugs, we cure a lot of people by just cutting out their cancers, right? And like maybe in osteosarcoma, you is just a little different, right? Because without chemo, you won't get cured. But you think of all the other um, sarcomas, like soft tissue sarcomas and other weird diseases that we treat that we cure a ton of people just by doing really good surgery, which came from, you know, the stuff you and Bob was talking about. And so there, just to end on a little positive note, that there's something, there's something good in all of us and what we do, even if we're not intellectually smart enough to find the new drug that cures cancer. Um, mental health. It comes up a lot, especially for sarcoma patients. They want to go through uh, prolonged treatment. Do you and your practice um, or in general have any um, options uh, to address this for patients or, um, do you see uh, any future about mental health, health options uh, being incorporated into the care of sarcoma patients? Uh, thanks. Yeah, my name's Paul Clarkson. I'm a surgeon in uh, Vancouver, Canada. Um, I think that's a really good question. It is something that we uh, do pay attention to. So I have a mixed practice. I do part-time adults and part-time pediatrics. And I find that the um, within our healthcare system, the support for what's going on outside of the purely biological management is much greater in the, pedi in the pediatric group. We have um, a really good group of uh, support therapists, um, uh, psychologists, child psychologists, et cetera, that become part of a team. And so that, for instance, the diagnosis isn't just given by a surgeon in the middle of a busy clinic where you just sort of break this to someone and you've got another 10 people to see. Um, it's actually a scheduled appointment. It's called the, you know, we do the reveal or the, the, the revealing of the mm -hmm. diagnosis. And we try to have as many members of the team there as we can. And parents are prepared and then supported, supported after that. Um, we don't see that as much in the adult world. We do have a um, patient and family counselling service at the BC Cancer Agency, which is excellent. Um, they're usually available to come and see patients at short, no at short notice, usually within a day or two. Um, but again, I think that, so we do have all these services, but I still think it's an under-recognized part of the longer-term effects that having a sarcoma, having uh, major surgery that even if it's not, even if you're still doing limb salvage, a lot of these people can't work or their, their, um, their lives have changed significantly and their outlook on life has changed significantly. And I would, I would love to do more research into what are the long-term effects on people's mental health after they've, after, in cancer survivors, in adults. It's been done in children, but it's not really been done as much in adults.
<laughs> so in my uh, busy practice, and you just like dong, 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 and then we you know, we have a we have a nurse now who's who works with us, and we say is you know my job is to go and break the news, and then her job is to kind of pick up the pieces, <laughs> pick up the pieces afterwards. Yeah. You know, going back to Jay's thing about studies that don't work, right? Remember that study that Aileen Davis did? Uh, big study, CI Sharp funded, where we brought in counseling before search. So the intervention in a randomized study was training in physiotherapy and counseling before surgery versus nothing. And the idea was, are you going to get people back to work, back to their normal lives faster? You know, it seems like a good assumption, right? And absolutely negative study. And the interesting thing was the qualitative research that she did talking to people about their experience. Their comment was, I had no idea what was going to happen to me with the treatment that you guys provided. And asking me about return to work is simply ridiculous. You know, you just destroyed my life for a period of time. I wasn't interested in going back to work or going back to school. That is not a question that I really should have been asked. And, you know, no matter how much counseling you do, no matter how much, the only thing that offered a little bit of possible positive impact was uh, patients counseling, other patients who had similar tumors, the patient story, because it got them down this, because you don't know what's about to happen to you. So the, um, the next question we have is, what does the myxoid part of a sarcoma diagnosis mean? And what does that entail for the patient um, in terms of, you know, outcome in any way? What, what an interesting question. My name is Will Eward. I'm an orthopedic oncologist at Duke. The question is about what does myxoid mean and what does it imply? Um, myxoid essentially is like an adjective form of mucus. It means that the tumors are full of mucus. And that, that means a few things to us. It means that those tumor cells have a lot of water in them. And that makes them easy to recognize. It makes them very bright on a certain type of T2. Um, unfortunately, that's the only part about this that's straightforward. It gets a little confusing after this. Some tumors that have myxoid in the name, um, there are some really good aspects of that. Like myxoid liposarcoma, we know that we can really shrink those tumors with radiation. And in general, they're highly treatable. But other tumors with myxoid in the name, like myxofibrosarcoma, uh, are some of the worst that we deal with. So um, even though there are a lot of general things we can say about myxoid, that it means the tumor's making mucus, um, this is where you really want to talk to your doctor about what your specific myxoid tumor is and how to treat it. It's really interesting to hear you say that myxoid liposarcoma kind of melts with radiation. But I remember when that wasn't really understood, but we see occasional patients on that pre-op radiation study whose tumors disappeared, right? They were inevitably myxoid liposarcoma. Yeah, and, uh, and I think uh, Dr. Ferguson definitely talked about that on the uh, liposarcoma episode. Uh, do you have time for another one? Is someone with uh, a synovial sarcoma like diagnosed in family? So it's like, are there any um, new or upcoming synovial sarcoma treatments? And then would there be any benefits in sarcoma for neoantigen vaccines? 
And I, I, what's the what's the vaccine? Um, so the neoantigen vaccine, so is for I think they're using it for some solid tumors where you can actually um, uh, take, I guess, proteins from the tumor, tag it to the virus, and then the, the body fights the virus and then fights the tumor. I'm not very familiar. No, because even your measles stuff, right? Wasn't that something different? But that that's only that's only looking at. So right now, what they're doing with that is they're just looking at they're giving this vaccine um, in conjunction with only for UPS and some other types of soft tissue sarcomas, and they're just looking at if they do radiation with it if it improves necrosis, but they're not actually using it to treat people. So maybe some somewhere down the line in the future, um, but but maybe no time soon. So so then maybe I can ask you the next question then, um, which would be our last one, um, and it's. What are the most uh, important changes uh, in sarcoma care, orthopedic oncology, so operative care, um, in the last, you know, 30 to 50 years? Well, I think that is a very, you know, reasonable question, but I think it's the big thing that, you know, Dr. Bell was talking about earlier, uh, talking about teamwork and kind of all the advances in terms of working as a multidisciplinary team, and that's really advanced the care of sarcoma patients worldwide. And so... You know, there's these big centers that have been showing how cancer, especially sarcoma, should be treated. And it really does take a multidisciplinary team in order to provide a hope for cure for these patients where there's little other options. And I'm guessing the Mayo Clinic is one of those. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Number one, according to Dr. Google. <laughs> <laughs> Right. Um, any other thoughts uh, from the gallery, guys? It's all imaging. Yeah, imaging, I think, is a huge, huge thing, yeah. right? Imaging, so we can depict tumors and more accurately resect. I think that's, I think that's yeah. The, the, yeah. Yeah, the most significant improvement in our precision. Imaging. Not just like Yeah. Isn't it probably exactly what we have here? People like Bob and yourself. Okay. training all of us to do a very, you know, a much, I'd say not a better job, but be more specialized in care in general to your, to, to your, your, your study, uh, Bob, where, you know, all these sarcomas treated in all these places by general surgeons, orthopedic surgeons, and the fact that, you know, centralization now, of care. Yeah, yeah. And, and better technical surgery. Yeah. Getting rid of allographs. <laughs> <laughs>